Welcome to the Bill Fisher Public. My name is Chris. My name is Will. This is episode three, and we got some guests on the show, yes, Vinny and Georgie. How's it going? What's up? Yes, sir. Nice to have you guys. So this is kind of what we wanted to get into, was have some exciting guests in the show. So we had Georgie and Vinny come down. We just finished some eating some Wahoo sashimi. We've gone from one guest, or from me and you, to then one now we have two, so we have yeah. a total of four tonight. Georgia, we're growing. We're, we're, we're building that. the tribe. And we're exciting guests. We're you guys are exciting guests. guests. Exciting yeah, guests. you guys Very are hand-picked. Exciting. You guys are our first real crew guests. We want to hear your stories. You guys are like celebrities out there. No. Yeah, definitely not. So don't leave here and think that you guys are like some sort of hot shots, but I mean, yeah, you kind of are. It's the famous deal. Monopoly Rich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, these, these guests don't have a lot of Instagram followers, which is kind of why we picked them. But they got great dot cred. Yeah, and, and, the, and the people that do follow them are the people that matter. I agree. Street I agree. cred. Got the street cred. Street yep. cred. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, word on the docks, word in the streets is good about these guys. And it's not just their Instagram following why we picked them. So that's kind of like why I picked them. Good friends of mine have been friends with Georgie for a while. I've known Vinny for a long time. And, I just uh, met him. Yeah. Great guys. Great to have them on. Yeah. So this podcast is going to kind of be a little bit of us asking them more questions and we'll get into some, you know, conversation, but we're kind of just going to try to get what we think is value to the listener and kind of what we think people want to hear. So we got a handful of questions to shoot at them. So, so yeah, good to have you guys on. Georgie, nice here. Vinny. And uh, yeah, we want to show the listener kind of like what you guys do as mates, as a crew, kind of like what it looks like to be on a boat and work on a boat. Um, so like, Starting off, what kind of boat do you guys work on, Vinny? Uh, I work on a 71-foot Jim Smith. Nice. And Georgie? 72 Merit. Nice. Yeah, definitely uh, custom boats, I guess, is the way to go these days. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Everybody. Uh, so it's not a Hatteras or a Bertram? Mainly. No, no. <laughs> definitely not. There's levels to that, right? There, there are some levels. They're all good riding boats, but... Uh, there's a lot of things that you got to definitely keep a better eye on with a custom boat. The goal is to work on a custom boat as opposed to... Yeah, for some people it can be. Uh, it's something I wanted to do. Uh, it might not be what everybody wants. Some people are very happy with no teak, nothing to worry about like no that. Varnish. No varnish. Right. You beat I will up say the boat this. a little more. I've caught plenty of fish on a Bertram and a Hatteras. Right, Absolutely. right. Yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that. It's no, just... No, no, no. Nothing wrong with it. I think it's just like if you're on a custom boat and your boss has an unlimited budget, there's levels to that, and you kind of want to get to that point. And I think, you know, the more money the boss has, the more trips you can do, the more, you know, unlimited budget you have, the better reels you have, and yeah, you're on a custom boat. So it's kind of like a status thing, which is cool. Yeah, I would say that. And just I think the custom boats, too, the attention to detail that you get when you get a boat like that, or, you know, you get a mare and you get the layout and the comfort, it's, it's different, you know, it's it's yeah, definitely point. satisfying being at the dock and seeing the boat that you take care of and maintain and it shining and looking as good as it can be. It, it takes on a personal pride for me, myself. So For sure. People come cool. down the dock and they're like breaking neck at certain boats. Yeah. It feels good to be on one of those. Absolutely. No doubt. All right. So like what's a want to kind of like get into like what it looks like to be a mate <coughs> and be on the scene. So like what's like a yearly schedule for like one of you guys, real quick, like, how does it go like on a yearly basis? Well, start off in the winter, just because I always mentally think of winter is the start, the jumping point. But we'll be home. Uh, 
we'll get home usually from our last trip around uh, Thanksgiving. We're usually always home for Thanksgiving, and then we'll stay local and fish some sailfish. No tournaments, but we do get, we do get out there a lot. Uh, if it's nice enough, we'll go swordfish, but usually nothing too crazy. And in the past, we've stayed local until about uh, June, July, where we'll get down to St. Thomas and fish four months down in St. Thomas, and after that go on to the DR and fish a month and a half out of the DR. And it's been a blast doing that. This year we're going to do something different. We're going to stay local for a good amount of time, but we're going to try and get down to Key West, spend about a week and a half in Key West, and then a week in the Bahamas, and we're going to go on a ship and take the boat over to Mag Bay. Oh, that's awesome. You're going to ride on the ship? I'm not going to ride on the ship. No. You can ride on the ship, though. I saw some guys riding on it, right? Yeah. If, if you want to run things like your freezers and power, you got to have somebody on the ship. But if you just turn everything off, the boat can go solo. That's awesome. What's, what's the bite in Mag Bay like? Uh, I've personally never been, but I hear it's completely off the chain. I mean, striped marlin everywhere you can see. Free jumping under birds. If you somehow troll out of them, just look up for a second. You'll find a new pack just to... That's move awesome. over to and that's awesome that's what dreams are made of yeah i mean get 50 plus shots a day and that's bare minimum wow. that's something that's that's sick fishing yeah that's sick so Vinny, what's like your yearly schedule on the boat you work on uh for us i think it starts more in springtime when we start get up and going we usually start out in the bahamas chuck key bahamas and uh <clears throat> fish you know bahamas tournaments skips tournaments and we um Head over to uh, Bermuda, usually after that, sometime around end of May, beginning of June. Spend uh, pretty much all of June and July in Bermuda, fish a Triple Crown, fish a World Cup out of there. And uh, depending on, you know, what's going on, usually from there we take off to St. Thomas, Dominican Republic, or straight to the Dominican Republic. Spend it there through, uh, I would say, like, right, right before Thanksgiving. Like Georgie said, we're usually home for Thanksgiving. We're on the same schedule as that. You know, get home right before Thanksgiving, and then usually from Thanksgiving, you know, winter, right before spring, or right sometime during spring, we're in a boat yard, uh, getting things done. We have a, we just got this boat two years ago, so we're uh, we did a lot of stuff to it last year, and this year just tightening up a couple things, and you know, after that, and start traveling again, and that's been the schedule, I guess, uh, since I've been on the program for three years, going on my fourth, and that's pretty much been our schedule since. It's pretty pretty consistent, a lot of fun, good fishing, good tournaments, and good. Uh, Good locations. So, Vinny, like, <clears throat> I know you and George are saying you guys travel, like, a lot. Like, how how far is that from, like, here to Bermuda? Like, how many days is that? How long does it take? Um, well, we leave Bermuda from the Abacos. And okay. it's 750 nautical miles, straight shot. And uh, we do it in uh, two nights. So we get there, you know, usually when we wake up the second morning, we're probably, you know, 60, 50 miles from there. Uh, I think we've been averaging just under 49 hours is what it takes. Take a four-man crew. Uh, we do six hours off, two hours on, one guy at the helm. Usually, during the day, you usually have two guys up there. It's, you know, at night when you kind of get one guy at the helm. Like, Georgia, like, going down to St. Thomas, like, what's that, what's that look like? A uh, little different. Uh, we'll go down to stop in Long Island first and refuel. That's <clears throat> our first day. We'll run all the way over there. And after we refuel, we pick up, start running all day once we start getting into the night start slowing down and getting on the shifts. We change our shifts based on uh, how many guys we have on our boat when we travel and how everybody's feeling. If 
they're up for some longer shifts. We'll do some longer shifts. Two guys on the bridge at all times, but uh, we definitely want everybody to feel comfortable. So, you know, whatever whatever you feel, just be honest with us on the bridge, and we'll go off that. Nobody's going to get mad at you. We'd rather have you alert than right, not have you Right, if you're tired. Alert. Exactly. If you're tired, you're asleep. Exactly. So, um, I've, been, I've come up to the bridge after my shift sleeping to come wake come let the driver and the other watch guy go down and sleep and they were both asleep yeah yeah and that's bad and that's scary that's like uh yeah, that's scary. not what you want to happen no at all so do that uh spend a night at sea as soon as sun comes up we'll uh throttle up and keep on running we'll uh end up in um uh, just off of Samana. Nice. i will say this that chugging you know 10 knots the whole way to conserve fuel it has its positive but it has its negatives i mean you have a higher chance of hitting something you know more time in the water obviously things can happen and it takes a lot of your crew but it has its benefits you know just not burning fuel whatnot. saving fuel yeah, yeah. Saving fuel. some of the boats i worked on i mean captain was trying to like strike a deal with the owner hey, if we chug can i get some of that money back so yeah. there was incentive for the crew <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really take part in that because I didn't get any of the cut of that and I wouldn't have wanted that but like they wanted to cut yeah. back if they 10 knotted so yeah. we 10 knotted anyways and we I mean we 10 knotted from Miami to St. Thomas it was four days 10 knotting the whole time we we stopped in, uh, in Long Island we got some fuel yeah but like what other like safety precautions would you do because like I remember being out there and you're, you just think about it you're 100 miles behind you and 100 miles in front of you Sure, and I just always got like this sinking feeling in my stomach. Like, man, if I fell in the water, like, what's gonna happen? Like, yeah. I would always tie ropes from like through the tower legs, just in case like you lost balance. Yeah, I remember never pee you, off the back of the boat. Yeah, never no, pee off the pee back. on the deck. Pee on the deck. Doesn't yeah. matter. Just wash it out. Right. Sure. Yeah, it'll it'll clean up. I remember I saw a guy do that, and I'm like, man, he's pee on the deck. Like that's sacrilege. Yeah. Like, baby, you're not whipping it out. We're going we're to be the ones who clean it anyway, so, yeah, you know. You might as well. You know, stuff like that when you're traveling it's, it, and at night, you got to <sighs> think as smart as you can and just watch out for yourself. Be smart about everything. Be alert. And if it's going to be too much trouble to make that movement, turn around, bend over the side, don't, don't do it. Yeah, don't like, go spit off it. the corner of the boat. I mean, yeah. yeah. I remember that, and it was important, kind of like... I think it's important too that like we travel with our ditch bag out already. Right. Yeah. Life raft already out, ready to go. Some and you know personal life jackets up in the bridge when you're up there, and those life jackets have little you know lights on them. Yeah. So it gets in the water. If you, if you fall in or whatever, at least he can you know wave you down and you see him or not. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not going to circle around and find you out there. I mean, it's pretty dark. Yeah. I mean, I just remember that sinking feeling. It never left me. Like how crazy it would be to be out mm-hmm. there alone. A big thing that I got into that Vinny got me into was this uh, spot device that connects to your phone via Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and you can shoot texts out from anywhere yeah. you want. Yeah. You know, well, now we, got, now we got the new satellites where you have a limited uh, low-speed Wi-Fi so you can text all you want. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the InReach, the Garmin one? No, it's uh, the VSAT on the boats now. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You know, before you used to get like a high bill if you use the internet. Now they got a oh, low okay. speed and it's unlimited. You can't like stream, but you could text. You can yeah you can, yeah you're not gonna watch videos you can you can WhatsApp you can iMessage um, and that's about it I mean you're not gonna get on Insta and, and shoot up a live video it's not gonna work but right, right. for texting and stuff like that it's a huge game changer that's awesome yeah those are really important we use the the inReach stuff that's like that's our go to yeah the inReach one's yeah, awesome I've been thing. using that one 
it's good to have. I mean, I keep it with me all the time. I mean, the, I'm it's go the easiest somewhere. thing. It just connects to your phone, and you just send regular text messages. And then, yep. I know, um, like when I was I was sword fishing a lot, and uh, my uh, my mom used to always ask, like, oh, like you know, when you get back to the dock, text me. And you go buoy fishing all night long. The last thing you're doing is like text, texting text me. So, yeah. with that inreach thing, you can send a message and the people can like follow your track like if you allow them to so she could like see exactly like yeah yeah and it shows the gps the yeah that was real cool <laughs> until my dad figured it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't you don't want your girlfriend on that you gotta you got it on by accident too many trackers <laughs> so like when you guys are like back on land here an average day in a mate's life or crew life on a boat like what does that look like as far as like when the boat's at home getting up you're going to the boat like tell us what it, like a day in the life would look like well first thing i like to do when i get to the boat is just recently i've gotten into the habit of rinsing and trying to chamois it if i don't get to chamois it i don't chamois it it's spot zero water we make really really good water but I try and get water on it every day the more often i rinse it i feel the cleaner it stays and i have to use less soap so we try and keep it on that program and you know one day at a time, I'll just start at the tower, work my way down, waxing, metal wax, battle shield. I come to really like. It's easy to turn, uh, put on and take off and uh, just work our way down, try and hit everything. Once you're done outside, move the party inside, hit all the knobs, china, dishes. We have a lot of china on our boat, and we cater a lot, so we have a lot of fancy glasses and dishes that everything gets tended to. So there's always something to do on the boat. And... Uh, the way I feel is the earlier you get there, knock out what you gotta do, the earlier we can leave. Uh, I don't like starting projects at the end of the day, picking up the next day, it's not really my style. Pick a project, knock it out, do the best you can, and get out of there when you're done. Yeah, the early, start early and get out early. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> Especially when it's 100 degrees in the summer, you're like, you don't want to do the outside stuff after 11 or 12, yeah, or it, the inside, working on tackle or whatever. Definitely another thing is, like planning out your days and your time and you know you work with the sun you know, a lot of people think you work against it you got to work with it huge to do this guy so yeah. you don't you don't want to start yeah. waxing the boat at like 11 o'clock one o'clock in the afternoon oh no not if not if that side of the boat is facing the sun no yeah, don't don't ever wax the sunny side right especially I'm a big stickler with that and it just it, it it makes it look worse it's harder to work in I mean, anybody who works on like we do this side today, and then when the sun switches over, we go to that side. Yeah, yeah. It makes a huge difference in taking care of a boat. You take your time with it, and you do a good job, and it, it comes out a lot better. And it goes a lot farther. Yeah. So a lot of the job is waxing. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not all big the, part of it. You know, all the, everything that you see on Instagram, huh? Clean, teak, polishing. Right. Uh, you know, I do. We do laundry on our boat. Fold. Right. We do all the all the You're like stewardess, turns fisherman. Down. Yeah. So Lunches, food, all that. Was it where jack of many trades, a master of none? Yeah. Exactly. Hey, you got to do it all because I mean, they, not all the boats have stewardesses, so yeah. they don't have anybody cooking and cleaning and doing all that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can't be above it. Yeah. Right. You can't be too good for that because somebody's got to do it. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. makes you more available. I think you know, it gives you more opportunity. Right. Being George, willing to do that stuff. Yeah. George, are you the chef on the boat? I I am. Yeah. I took on that responsibility after right. our last mate left. Go run a boat. Um, I did not burn the first meal, so now I cook all the meals. Yeah, that's I learned that one. I pulled out the panini press, and then I had to pull out the panini press every time. Yeah. So if you do a good job, you're stuck. You're stuck like Chuck. You're doing it from, from there on. It's okay. I'm getting some good stuff to play with, so we're making the best out of it. And you get to sit in the AC sometimes. 
Yeah. You cook. Yeah. If it's so the day. Day, day of the day, you're the sandwich guy. Yeah. That's the best thing ever. Yeah. Oh, the sandwich fairy. Yeah. Sandwich bite, lunchtime bite. Yeah, lunchtime bite. Lunchtime bite. I've, I've got in the habit of like, if I get like a good, like get a good crew going, like you get guys right on the dock, like Chris and the DR and little fat goes, and you get you know a couple of other guys, and you go in to make lunch, you get a bite. Sometimes I just sit there and, and watch. Watch. Yeah, you I'm can like, trust like, you. They got it covered, <laughs> and you sit there, you're making a sandwich. And this year, actually, my my boss walked in. He's like, you make your sandwiches. You know, my boss likes to cook, and I'm like, yeah, I got it today, Lester. You know, and. Uh, we, you know, we hook a fish and he's in there and he comes in and, and we're going backwards and it's like, we got the switch chains hanging still. And then I look over and there's one, you know, if you're looking out the salon window, there's one chasing the switch and he's going backwards. I'm like, hey, let's look at that fish out there. And he's like, oh yeah. He goes, how long do you think until they realize? And it's like, as soon as I said, like two seconds later, James is screaming. He's like, there's another one on the left side. And James like, huh, how interesting. It's fun to sit back. Yeah, it's always fun to sit back. Man, I, that was my thing. I knew if I went inside and made lunch, I would sure enough put my head down and look back and see one biting or a rod doubled over. Something about me making lunch that got a got a bite. Yeah. When you're not overanalyzing the situation, you right. walk back for a minute. That's that's when they get you. Oh, definitely. I think one of the best things on the. Uh on the Brebo is they have an outdoor bathroom that has AC. That's the power move. <laughs> with, with the with the rear facing window so you could see the whole spread from the inside, but yeah. just like crazy AC system. Like that uh the whole back of that boat underneath there has like an AC system. Yeah in the mezzanine area. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. Big thing. Like, Vinny, what's like a boats? day in the life of uh on your boat? I know you guys were like in the yard, it's a new boat, so maybe it's a little bit more um, well, for me, unfortunately, I have to drive a little bit farther. So I drive from Miami to Pompano every day. And then we carpool in my camp's car all the way to Stewart. And uh, it's Monday through Thursday. Usually we don't work on Fridays if we can't. Um, and it's just, you know, we have our own projects that we work on, you know, and we just got to stay on top of the guys. If you're on a boat yard and, and you're not there every day, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to get things done. They're going to be like, oh, they're not here today. Go over here and work. But if you're there every day, they notice you see you there, they care. They're going to send their guys. You're going to stay on them. That's pretty much in the boat yard. I mean, you know, usually our job in the boat yard is when we get there, get the boat ready, get the stuff, you know, get the icing glass pulled off, empty out the boat, wherever they're going to work. You don't want to leave your rods where they're going to be sanding and varnishing. It's going to get nasty. And uh, that's pretty much it in the boat yard. And when we're away, it's like what Georgie said, you know, in the mornings, you know, wake up early, shammy the boat, get your outside work done quick, you know, early, and then try to spend the afternoon either doing tackle or what you got to do and try to try to finish, you know, early in the afternoon and we can go do whatever you want after. If you want to go to the gym. In Bermuda, we got like a little sea craft. We get it, go around, go hog fishing if we can, you know, go right around, do something, you know. it's it's Our job is to work, but at the same time, we go to these cool places. We should be able to enjoy them. So if you, if you stay on top of your stuff, you can go out, you know, in the afternoons or, you know, take a Friday off and go fishing with another boat or go do some other type of fishing that you don't normally do. But uh, that's pretty much a day in, a, in, in the real lax. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's important to get off the boat when you travel, at least for a day or two. You know, it's, you don't want to work yourself to death. You're out of the country. You're gone. You, you're not with the people you know or love every day. It's important you get a couple of days to yourself here or there after you get everything done and enjoy yourself and take advantage of where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, it was always important. Like, we would always try to get places a day or two before the boss came in. So we had a day or two to get the boat ready and then a day or two to enjoy it. Yeah. Because, I mean, you are away from your family, like you said, and it's a, it's a sacrifice. But then again, you're all also in, like, some of the most beautiful places on the planet. And sometimes you don't even get to enjoy them. 
Yeah. Like if you're on a yacht, those people don't even get off the boat. boat. They're they're, they're slaved. So like in the sport fishing industry, I mean, man, we used to get off and go on field trips after we got our work done. Yeah, go exploring. I mean, (laughs) field trips. But yeah, it was just awesome to be able to go do those things. Yeah. Yep. Load load all the mates up and go wreak havoc wherever you are. Yeah. Pirate pirate life and pillage and go around explore. Oh, man. This year in St. Thomas, we uh, unfortunately... I broke down, and so we were kind of laying stagnant for a while. But you know, every day we'd get up, do our basic necessities, and do our our duties, and we'd find our time. We'd go and usually end up at Sapphire Beach playing volleyball every afternoon. You know, that's a spot. Come back, cook up dinner with everybody. We'll do a potluck on the dock with a bunch of the other boats. Everybody gets to know everybody, and you know. It turns in, you're away from your family, like I said, but you develop your own family yeah, away with way all these it. guys. For you sure. Know, you build a close relationship with these guys when you're away, and it's it's really cool. And, yeah, that's pretty much your day. You know, I remember one trip. I uh, One day I got everything done. I had my surfboard with me. I put the surfboard in the car, and I went to, like, three or four different beaches just looking for somewhere to surf. Couldn't find anything, but, you know, that was my afternoon after you got everything done. I'll tell you this. My afternoon in the DR consists of uh, Little Fat calling me by 1 p.m. to go play basketball at 5. And oh, yeah. Every day it's like go play basketball, come back to the dock and have a cookout and hang out or go to his house and cook out. And that's always fun too. You know, you go out. I, I try to stay active. You know, a lot of these guys, they stay active in certain ways. It's surfing, if it's running yeah. or whatever, the gym or basketball or whatever. That volleyball was yeah. intense. I I've heard a lot of stories about this volleyball. And the Abacos, <laughs> they got it there right behind the boats and like you have the tournaments yeah. and you got 40, 50 boats and it's like full on every afternoon. They're obviously everybody's still drinking, but it's it gets competitive. It's like top gun competitions. Yeah, it gets competitive. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's awesome to stay active instead of just getting the, you know, Island fever and just sitting there on the on the dock just drinking. No, yeah, yeah, staying active and until you get burnt out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You, you got to enjoy the place and you might as well make the best of it instead of just like sitting on the dock sulking and getting hammered. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's so. Yeah, I mean that's some of the highlights and some of the lowlights of the job. So, like, what would you think would be like the best part of the job and the worst part of the job? Uh, definitely the best part of the job is I can at least say like. The people that I work for, the program that I'm on, they take very, very good care of me, and I have the privilege of, A, getting home a lot, and B, if I can't get home, I can fly in my wife, who can come and stay with me for a while, and we'll get a hotel room, and I'll get to enjoy wherever I am with her, so that that is probably one of the best things about the job that I have, is it's a big deal for my program and my owners that I keep the relationships that I have at home, and you don't always find that with everybody you work for, so that's definitely a, probably the biggest plus. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember being down in some of these places and looking at like some of the most the most beautiful views that I had ever seen, but it always hit me. But I'm here by myself. Yeah, I'm not exactly. with my significant other. So I think that's like to me the worst part about traveling is being away from your significant other or your family. I mean, for me it's more my significant other because my family we stay in contact a lot and we see each other when we're home, but you always want to share some of these moments with your significant other or, or you know. Yeah. I would miss my dogs a lot because you couldn't speak to them. <laughs> That's a very good point. I mean, you know, I could see a picture of them, but you speak to them and you kind of like. 
Yeah. You, know, you get you get connected to them through the phone, but the it's animals. Not the same. You can't pet them. You can't. I couldn't them. pet them. Like there's no connection. I uh, I think the best part for me would be um, the traveling, just meeting different people of different cultures and experiencing different things. I mean, I've made friends along the way that I consider family. Some of them I consider closer than than my real family. You know. And uh, you stay in contact with these people and, you know, they, they come visit you, you come visit them. And, you know, during the holidays, during your birthday, you talk to each other and, and they become almost just as good as uh, or just as close as, as, as a family member. To me, that's the biggest thing and just the, the experiences we get, you know, and I think we become kind of, um, we be kind of come, what's the word I'm looking for when you... Uh, you kind of lose appreciation of something. Definitely. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of lose, you know, like where you're, where you're at, what you're doing. You're very privileged, and you kind of forget that, that that's what you're, uh, you're getting to do. Yeah, you're down there with Little Fat and DR a lot, and that's where you became good friends with him. I met him in Miami, um, sword fishing a couple times, and uh, just down there, you know, he came by the boat, and he knew Brick, who I was working with at the time, and we knew each other, and you know, you know, Little Fat man, he. Uh, he works his way in anything. His uh, his uh, his character and his and his demeanor and just his, his way to talk to people. He to, people love him. And like my old boss Lewis loved him, and my current boss Lester. He he he's like man. Chris is invited wherever we go. However, and not just that. He used to, he used to work in the industry, so he comes on the boat. He can he can do anything yeah, he pretty much. Yeah, and he he's a great angler, and uh, he's a good time man. He's a he's a riot. He's, yeah. No, he's definitely one of those people that you don't you don't forget when you meet yeah. on the circuit. Another one that I know that we maybe know in common is uh, Pop from San Sal. Ah, yeah, Pop. Rest he's another peace. one. I mean, when you got to yeah. think about some doc characters, he's got to be one of the, the biggest characters there is. Yeah, man. That was uh, when he when he passed away. That was that was pretty. I mean, it, you know, it, it was a set that like I was like, man, I was devastated, but like, it kind of hurt because when you go to San Sal, that's like somebody who you look forward to seeing. Yeah, for like, sure. It's iconic in that island. Yeah, he was definitely iconic. He's iconic. I had a chance to make a video with him. If you had your boat sticker on his guitar, yeah, that, that meant it. something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a YouTube video that I made with him, and I kind of mixed it up to make him sound funnier than he really was. I mean, he was being hilarious, but I kind of mixed it up to make like a little montage of him talking and yeah. playing his guitar. So like, I don't know, I'm just kind of happy to have that because it's one of those people that like I never forgot traveling. Yeah. I mean, they're endless. I mean, and every country has different people. I mean, the Bahamians are hilarious. Yeah. Everybody loves, a, you know, a Bahamian. No. Right. And even the Dominicans, <laughs> I, I, I grew to uh, like a lot of Dominicans. They're yeah. really good people. St. Thomas, maybe the locals weren't the coolest. I never really connected with too many locals. In There's St. a Thomas. handful of cool locals. Yeah. It's, a yeah. sh- it's a shady. When you think about Red Hook, in a sense, I mean, I've been with, with your dad, Georgie, walking back from a bar one night and... You know, just yeah. walking with him, and, and he's you know he's had a few. We both had a few, but I'm like keep a look around because you get the shady characters hanging around there. Yeah, no doubt. St. Thomas is a cool place, and it's it's weird, but it, it definitely has its characters you gotta watch out for. I think anybody down there is running away from something over here or hiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a shady place. Yeah, I mean, I remember even the locals are like, be careful, you know. Yeah, but there's the, there is do. definitely a handful of really good locals there. You know, like. The bar we go to, the bartenders there, they all take very good care of us, the manager there and the owner. And uh, they're Which all good people. ITP Island Time Pub in oh, Red okay. Hook. That's the one way up top, right? All mm-hmm. the way up at the top, yeah. I thought you were going to say XOs because that's the other. XOs is good, one. but I feel like the fishing community's moved out of XOs. And kind of before I got there, ever since I've been there, everybody's always hung out at ITP. But 
before I got there, it seems like all the old all guys, all the real legends, they all yeah. went to XOs. All the older guys that I knew was like, they all knew everybody at XOs. And I was yeah. like, I wanted to jump in that. We would go to XOs and have some drinks too, because it was the place where all the older guys talked about. Yeah. You walk, I, you walk in, you see pictures of everybody, all the older guys and everybody in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. It changed. It's it no did. Longer. It did. Like a it's still shift. there though, right? It is still there. Yeah. And thriving. It's doing great. But nice. fishermen just happen to hang out at ITP. Nice. So like St. Thomas, not known for the land life, but known for the fishing. Yeah. Like I know you fish a lot there, George. You were there this summer. Yeah. Like what, what's the interesting part about like why St. Thomas? I know it's a North Drop. But like what do you think why it's such a special place to fish? I mean, definitely just from the fishing aspect, you get ideally multiple opportunities at fish over 400 pounds which is something special. Blue marlin over 400 pounds. To me, that's special. Um, you also get to see the mountains. It's got beautiful scenery, you know, in British Virgin Islands too. I mean, out of control, ridiculous nice. I mean, the nicest island I've ever been to is probably Oil Nut Bay, and that was just drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, clear gin water, beautiful marina, small marina, but beautiful nonetheless, and really good views and good food and beautiful homes like really really nice homes that were all rentals dan bilzerian was actually there while i was there nice and it just so <laughs> happened that he stole my golf cart that i had for oh, my guests yeah they uh so we were docked and um we had my um my boss and a few of his guests on the boat staying and we, we made them up dinner and while we're cooking dinner and inside of the boat we can see through the salon that a, a yacht comes up and parks behind us and it's got a bunch of beautiful girls on it. I'm like, man, this is something interesting. There's nobody here. Like, what's this boat doing? Next thing you know, we see Dan Belzerian pop out. They all can, pile Can up. I stop you there? Did you notice a beautiful boat or the beautiful girls? Oh, it's definitely the girls. Because let's be realistic. Shitty right? day yacht. It was like painted gray or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so yeah, we think, oh man, this is cool. Dan Belzerian's on the island. What are the chances that we get to run into him? Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Keep going on with their stuff. Uh, later we finish up dinner go throw the trash out and notice that they've taken the golf carts there's only one golf cart left right they took all the golf carts that must have been who had all their golf carts here we go back our guests get off to leave to go to their house and they put the key in the golf cart and it doesn't work they come back they're telling us what happened me and the other man are like no way this is funny what are the chances we can go find Dan Belzerian and crash his party and try and get our golf cart back and no, on the bay, shut that down real quick. They're like, "Yeah, no, we'll go get it for you." <laughs> Left us high. I think one of the reasons Georgie, special St. Thomas for him too. I think Georgie caught his first blue marlin in St. Thomas. I did with you. And he also wired his first blue marlin. I mean, is that many made to say that they can go to St. Thomas and or say my first blue marlin that I wired was in St. Thomas? I mean, yeah. yeah. So you made it all the way there without even catching one. Yeah. And, That's then, awesome. you, and then you wired one after doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. St. Thomas is very, very special for me. I think it's, a, I don't know, it's just a magical place. It, it's the fish there are so aggressive. They're so big. I mean, getting a pull on them, thirty foot leader. It's nice. Yeah, because you're fishing more lures, so you got a big leader. Uh, well, no, I'm fishing gotta... pitch baits. I, I fish, oh, okay. I fish teasers on my boat. So we'll have two cockpit teasers, um, two bridge teasers, two dredges, and then everything is pitch. Um, Except for a center, we have one lure out, one center rigger, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of just a fall back, get, hope we get lucky if we miss them. But 
everything's pitch, pitch mackerels. If something small comes up, we'll pitch a really big horse ballyhoo, but usually everything gets a mac over there. So what size leader is that? Because, I mean, if it's light leader, you break them off, but if it's heavy leader... No, we're using 300 pound. Right. So that's yeah. enough to get pulled over, and which kind of adds to the excitement, and I felt. Yeah. Well, the hooks we, we got will we'll definitely straighten out. Straighten out. Yeah. Right, right, but right. Because fishing 80 you pound, get, you wire one at 80 pound. It's not... Yeah, you'll pop it. It's not much of a rush, because, you know, I'm not going to... Not hurt anybody? Yeah. yeah, it's not gonna hurt. You definitely anybody. feel a little more pressure in your hand when you, yeah, when you're pulling back on them. Yeah, is, for sure. I mean, I remember having such a like, like feeling in my stomach getting ready to go out there, knowing that I was gonna hit the spot where like you're, you're fishing three, four hundred pound leader. There's big fish. They're aggressive. They're going crazy. Like to me, that was what it was all about. Was St. Thomas the crazy fish, and yeah. leadering them. I think it's St. Thomas too. It's a Pat Brown said it once. He said, it's not if you see one. Like in the Bahamas, you might right. go three days. It's when you see one because you right. know you're going to see one yeah. when you go out. Yeah, yeah you don't and fall asleep there. And when it starts you don't, going you don't off, fall there. It, it gets, it's, it can get scary to some people when it starts going off. Anagata, right time right. of year in August, that can fire off and you'll be getting sometimes six, eight shots a day. And when you see that many fish, that pissed off, that big, it's. Yeah, it's awesome. It's very, very mesmerizing. You think that's a place where they're, like, breeding or mating? I think so, yeah. Kind of like why they're kind of, like, so aggressive. Yeah, because there's a few fish, there's a few small fish in there. In the mix, too, yeah. yeah. And it's on the moon type of bite, too. Yes, I on mean, the moon. A lot of, yeah. I mean, snappers and whatever, they you know, breed on the moon. Ideally, yeah. And ideally, when we're there fishing, we try and fish 10 days around the, the moon. Right. Either five days on or five days off, but we try and fish around it. Five days before, five days after. Yeah, try and get five days before and five days after. Yeah, that's awesome. Because not all the places are like that. Yeah. Right, like Vinny, you fish DR a lot. Yeah. Is that a moon bite? The same? No, I mean, everybody has their theories about down there. Um, and it's like you're saying, you don't know until you go. I mean, I've gone out there in, in the weirdest, what they consider not a good moon phase and still seen 15, 16 fish a day. I think it's more current-based uh, down there um, and more, more so than the moon. Right. Yeah, but uh, it's everybody has their theories, but I think in the DR is one of those places where you just have to go because you're going to have that special day of seeing, you know, 15, 20 boomar in a day. Obviously, the grants are not as big. You might get a fish that's, you know, two, 300 pounds considered big there, you know, for light tackle. But uh, you go out there and, you know, you're seeing those 20, 30 fish days. You, know, you don't want to be at the dock and be like, oh, maybe we won't go today because of the moon. You right, know, right. Because in St. Thomas, they sit at the dock. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. If it's if it's when you're not, there, there's yeah you'll do your dock. trip fish all your Doing days straight trips. in a row and then right. stay at the dock go do what you gotta do on the boat go to St. John's yeah what's the other place Yost Van Dyke Yost Van Dyke yeah that place I actually haven't made it out over there yet me, but me and oh. Georgie actually made it to uh, what's the, uh, the oh Willie T's Willie T's yeah. before it got blown out by Earl. yeah oh the the ship that was out there yeah. Yeah, that was the place. We slapped a billfish sticker on that thing. Yeah, yeah, we did. That's right. We actually, where else did we go? We went to the, uh, Uh, where the stone, uh, the stones, uh, the uh, the baths, the baths at Virgin Gordon. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And a restaurant. We went to some other restaurant too over there. Wasn't too bad. Yeah. Uh, Remember, you guys sent me a picture of you both in the in the pool at Scrub. Oh yeah, Yeah. bushwhackers. Yeah, bushwhackers. Yeah, that place is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in DR, like you guys are fishing fads. What is a fad? What does it stand for? And like, how do they get them out there? So, fads stand for 
uh, fish aggregating device. Right. And uh, the way they get out there is the, uh, the panga fishermen. Um, they're the ones who put them out. Well, we pay a fee to the marina every month. That fee goes to the panga fishermen, and they yeah. can go ahead and uh, have the money to put out these fads. And it's constructed with usually uh, styrofoam put together with a net, and it's anchored off using the same uh, polypropylene line that they use for, uh, for crab traps, for lobster traps. And um, they anchor it with whatever they can make. I mean, bags of cement with rebar through them, you know, hardened uh, engine blocks, whatever they can make to, to anchor it. And then what they tie off to it is uh, uh, dried palm tree leaves or pinkas or green ones, whichever. And that's what brings the bait fish. That's what brings the mahis. That's what brings the little tunas. And that's pretty much how it works. Um, how deep is that at? Anywhere from 800 to 1,000, 1,200, you know, right. 2,000, depending on, on what part of the DR you're fishing. I mean, I fished areas in the Dominican Republic where, you're, you know, you're fishing in 4,000 feet and you got a fat anchor at 4,000 feet of water. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're going to need some money to get 4,000 feet of line, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, Casa Campo just uh, posted something on their social media where they just bought, you know, huge, huge uh, container full of that black line. That's the biggest thing is right. the rope. Line. Yeah. Because they make the floating part themselves with whatever they can find. Uh, and they usually mark them with whatever they can. I mean, they'll put up. Now, I've oil. seen flags. We've seen. Oil, uh, court engine, oil yeah. courts. They use whatever they can. Right. I remember we were in uh, Porta Plata. And we were leaving uh, Puerto Plata to head to uh, Punta Cana. And we were going to leave midday and then 10 knot overnight. And the captain next to us was like, absolutely not. Do not 10 knot around the corner. He goes, you will get one of those fads in your wheel 100%. Yeah. And sure enough, the captain didn't listen. And we ended up driving. And all of a sudden, the boat came to a complete stop. Captain got right up on a fad. And it was green, or like it was a dark color, so it was looking like the ocean. And uh, let's just stop it. Yeah. All right, you're good to go. All right. I think that uh, that green color you're talking about, it's pretty standard. It's what they use to wrap the buoys around. Right. And, and it, man, even fishing during the day, if it's rough and it's white happy, you don't really, it's hard to see them sometimes, especially when you're in a group, you know, with other boats, you know, you gotta watch out for the boats and the fads. Uh, we, I've had instances where we put them between the dredge and the boat. This year, we actually had them get caught via the dredge and we, we ended up breaking the dredge off because it was so rough. And wow. instead, of, instead of backing up and trying to get it out, trying to get it in the, in, you know, possibly getting the wheels, we just cut it off and you know, left with our losses. But it's definitely a navigational hazard if it's rough and when you're fishing or at night, you know. It's right. Definitely, he's definitely correct. Yeah, the guy, he was adamant. He came to the boat. Because I was talking to him and I told him the captain wanted to do it. And he was like, you need to tell him not to. He came out with a helmet. And I saw him walking towards the boat with a helmet. And I'm like, what does this guy got a helmet for? He goes, look, man, tell your captain you're not going to go. But if you go, take this helmet. And I'm like, what is that about? He goes, when you run that fat over and you get in the water and you have to get under the boat. He goes, the boat's gonna lift up and it's gonna come down and hit you on the head. He goes, I have broken helmets at home. Take the helmet. Oh yes. my God. <laughs> I, I've had to jump in once with my own Captain Brick and he, uh, he was like, yeah man, uh, I'm not jumping in to get it. And I had to get, jump in and cut it out. It wasn't too bad, but yeah, it, it happens. Yeah. yeah. Scary too. I, I do have a helmet that I travel with. And 
One boat I did bring in on, the captain was like, hell was that for, man? What are you doing with this? I'm like, just watch, bro. You never know. It was a skateboard helmet, a bright red skateboard helmet. So if I floated, you'd be able to find me, too. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't think that's part of the gear that you need, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so you guys are trolling by the fads to catch your blue marlin. So you're trolling by the fads, you know, and it's, it's all very, like I said before, it was current-based. So, you know, which way the palm tree's going is where you want to fish, you know, on the opposite side. You kind of want to pick and choose where they're fit, you know, the fish are feeding on or where you're marking them on that side. Uh, you troll by, you give it a couple passes, and... Um, if you don't get a bite, you go to your next fad. Or if you're not really marking bait, you know, a lot of times you drive by and you mark them on the, on the sounder and you see the boomerangs. Like, all right, there's a fish here. Kind of work the area to kind of get them to come back up. Now with the sonars that we got in the boat, it makes it even dummy-proof because it's like, all right, you get to a fad. And before you even get to the fad, you're marking fish in the area or you're not or you're not marking the bait. And you're like, all right, jump to the next fad. That's what you're doing. You know, you get your bycatch too. You get your mahis. You get your wahoos. You get your barracudas kind of an area. Um, some days the mahis and the barracudas are so unbearable you have to go to another fad. But it's really? definitely, it definitely creates, it's basically like putting up, you know, a, a little island with, with water and a, and a palm tree in the middle of a desert. You know, that's what it creates pretty much. Right. How long does it take you to get out to the fads? Hour. I mean, depending on how rough it is, usually the first 10 miles outside the marina is a complete washing machine. And it's, it could be split calm in the fads but outside in front of the marina it's just, water kicking everywhere different currents meeting everywhere you're pretty much in, you're in the Mona Passage which is some of the roughest waters in the, in the Caribbean it takes you about an hour hour and a half depending on how far west you're fishing or, or how far east you're fishing but about it's a 30 mile run hour yeah the Mona's got a a good name to it right for being really rough yeah yeah what is it, what's going on there? You know, like the currents are coming around the north and south side and meeting yeah and you got you know you got the two and three rocks you got you know, different structure, pushing upwelling, stuff like that, and all the different current. And just, you know, you get the trade winds that blow through there. It gets really, really rough. I mean, George knows about the trade winds fishing St. Thomas. It's the same the same wind they get down there. Yeah, St. Thomas is always rough, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much every in. day. I mean, for us, we're on the merits. Yeah, it's it's got a very, very wide haul. So. Right. Oh. This is about, I've always heard, they're great when you get there, but they kick your ass getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't definitely. that uh, in that boat that Alan Jackson's building and that thing's supposed to be? Alan Jackson's got a 65 or something like that That's being built right yeah. now. Yeah. And I heard that, yeah. uh, what's the, was it the 77? The 77's are really Yeah, good the right 77 yeah. had a naval architect do the hull on the bottom of it. Yeah. So it's supposed to ride better. I've heard really good things about the 77. If, if, if either of you guys could, could buy a sport fish or would buy a sport fish, what, what would be the boat? 65 Bayless or a 60 Spencer probably I'd say a 61 Garlington for me that's yeah. what the old Relax was right that's the old Relax and I mean there's that boat it rides in, in any direction doesn't back up well but it, it was a fishy boat and it just rode for a 61 foot boat with a platform on it and it's just as far as taking care of it ease wise I mean that would be a, a great boat to have um, not good for like you said when you get there the comfort of it fishing wise because it's kind of small but it was just a just a great boat overall, and the, the the lines on it are timeless. I mean, they were the first one to kind of build that European look with the rounded windows and the rounded. Yeah, it was way brown. ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, way way ahead of its time. It has that center door in the in the cockpit. How do you like that? As I opposed like, to like a side door. I, I I love the look of the center door, especially when you get the varnished teak. It just gives it such a 
presence. It's just a good look on it. You know, very classy, very timeless. Uh, I, I really like the center doors. It's a symmetrical look, I always felt. Yeah. But then, like, your couch is kind of cut up. You lose a lot of space, I guess, on the inside. The, the layout side is nice. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a difference between, like, a Carolina-built boat and a Florida-built boat just because of the seas that they have to run Correct. through. Correct. Yeah. And the boat you're running now, how would you put that one? Is it a good traveling boat or better fishing boat? Uh, I'm not running it, working on it, but uh, the, this, that Jim Smith, man, it, 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 at first it was kind of broken, but, you know, getting rid of the Garlington. But that 71 Smith is, is a great running boat. I think John Vance builds, builds an amazing boat, especially for, you know, for what you pay. And uh, that new ovation, that 100-footer, I mean, I'm not a big fan of these giant sport fishes, but I look at that thing pretty much every day at work, and I'm like, man, that they got it right. I actually went on it today and looked at the interior, and it was just huge, you know, and layout was great. And I think that Jim Smith was a great boat. It's a very good sea boat. Uh, it's definitely fishy. It definitely raises fish very, very well. I think that's a very, very good uh, boat as well. They're as built, as like, in the same kind of, like, couple blocks, right? Uh, I'm there. Jim Smith and, uh, and Garlington are not too far from each other. They're actually neighbors. Right. You have LNH is uh, a neighbor to the right. You have Garlington in the middle. You got Jim Smith next door. And then uh, across the street is uh, Willis. Yeah, Mark Willis is on yeah. the street. Mm -hmm. Isn't yeah. isn't Conk up yeah. there, too? Conk's yeah, in Conk's there. up there. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Whitaker used to be up there. Americans up there. They're just on the other side of 95. Uh, quite a few famous boat builders up there that nobody really knows about. It's a really yeah. cool little area up there in, uh, in Stewart. Yeah. Monterey and Kinchlow and Nickerson were part of that group, but I don't think they're around anymore. Right? No, they're not around anymore. Mon Monterey still has a street named after them up there and all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, I heard those were, I mean, I, there's a book maybe, um, but I heard stories about Monterey, Kinchlow, Nickerson, and American, all those guys, you know, started a brand together and then they all kind of like started that whole area. Yep. That's like a little pocket of boat building. I mean, you got, you got anything and everything done up there. I, I mean, as, as much as I don't like to drive, just being up there and, and what I've gained and known the past three years with two refits and just the knowledge I've, you know, I've gained from meeting the people up there and doing different things and being different areas, it's, it's definitely a pretty cool area. It's not even by the water. Uh, it, it's it is, not on the water. It's not on the water. It's intercoastal. And a lot of the, like, yeah, like a lot of the shops are off the water. They're off you the got, water, yeah. You know, Treasure Coast, you know, Custom Marine. All the fabrications off the water. They gotta take that hundred footer to yeah, the water. Trailer it. On trailer, it, yeah. 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 There's some pretty cool pictures of some of those Jim Smiths. Yep. Like yep. on their way to the water. Garlington, Willis, all those guys. They they got trailer to the water. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So getting back to DR, some of your stories, you know, following Vinny on Instagram, posting his stuff about fishing in Dominican Republic, and there's always some questions that I had that, you know, the pangas. They're obviously the ones that put the fads out there, but then they're behind you guys while you guys are fishing. Um, it's kind of like they want their, they want to tax you a little bit more. So like they're chasing you around and they want your fish, right? Yeah, I mean, um, Georgie Two's experienced it. I mean, they, they've, uh, they've come a long way as far as um, how, they, how they, the aggressiveness towards us, I guess. We've built a relationship with them, the, thanks to the marina as well. Um, I've even taken the initiative of going down to the beach, Macau, where they where they keep their boats, and you know pretty much says, hey, you know, I'm Vinny, you know, in Spanish, it'll talk. I work on this boat, you know, keep us, you know, when you see us out there, you know, just you know, come down, give them a couple, couple shirts. Uh, they don't, they're not aggressive anymore. I mean, I the, the most aggressive was probably five years ago. We had a panga come down with a machete, you know, and there's no real threat when you're on a sport fish because they're not going to get close enough. They're nowhere near as fast. 
But they're asking for the blue marlin, yeah. And, and every once in a while, if one will come up dead, we give it to them. No sense in letting go if something's going to go to waste. It you know feeds their family. Sometimes we'll you know get them on the wire and the fish breaks off. It's light leader and we'll go and slip them. You know like a hundred bucks. You know my boss will a hundred bucks or we like you know here's some few mahis. We throw them beers. I got pictures of me tossing them presidentes. I always ask them like, do you want water? He goes like, you guys got beer? <laughs> like yeah. We'll always take the beer. <laughs> always take the beer. But man, I can see that and, and it's a great thing. We we built a relationship with them. I mean even to the point where there's one guy Roberto who I. Uh, I have his phone number, and I'll text him or call him before we go fishing. Like, which fads are holding bait, or which fads have you seen with Marlin, and he'll tell us. So it's come a long way, and, and I'm very happy about that. We can work together. You know, they can feed their families, and we can all fish together. But they're the ones who definitely do the hard work of putting the fads out. Right. Yeah, and they want their they want to taxi your ass a little bit more yeah. so they can get there. That's what they're out there is for the for catch the fish, and they yeah. see you out it's, there on a million dollar boat. It's their fads, their waters, their fish, and, and right. there. You know, we're visitors to their country and. If it wasn't for us, they'd be keeping the fish. So right, yeah, everything yeah, we you catch, be overfishing they them, can't. basically. Exactly. And yeah. obviously, fishing with better techniques. Yeah. Than them. We have a much bigger advantage than they do. For sure. And technology. Yeah. Yeah. How? They don't even have a bilge. I mean, you see them bailing with a, a gallon milk jug cut in half, and they're bailing water. That's their bilge pump. They don't have a cooler. The fish sit under. You know, they kind of cover them with rags so, or with with towels so they don't get too hot. But I mean, I've, I've had them pull up, and you look in their panga, and they got two or three blue marlin laid out in there. You know, they don't think that they're starving. They, they're, they're, they're good. Yeah, they're good they're, at it. They, yeah. they, they, they know what they're doing. How far off are they? That they're going out without a GPS, without really food and ice. But how far off of the coast did they run? I remember hearing it was 10, like 10, 12 miles from that right. beach. You know, depends on, you know, each little town has their fads that they fish. But from Macau to the fads, like 10, 12, some of them have handheld GPSs, Garmin's. The way those those pangas work too, the guys you see working on the pangas are not necessarily the guys who own the pangas. It's you'll have one guy with some amount of money and he'll own like five or six pangas and then you'll have the fishermen go on there. And then they're the ones who go out and fish. So a lot of times they give, they prefer the cash instead of the blue marlin because then they nothing gets cut out. So they get this hundred bucks, they pocket it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And obviously the presidente goes right in their belly. So. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What presidente? Mm. So another time I saw on your story, they threw you like a little blackfin, and it was a dead blackfin. I didn't really understand why they threw you a little blackfin. Um, and you ended up telling me that you use it for bait? Yeah, we, that's what, uh, one of my preferred pitch baits is a, a, a skipping blackfin down there. That's what the tunas, that's what the blue marlin are eating on the fads. So, I mean, you can throw out a ballyhoo with a chugger, a mackerel. And, you know, 90% of the time, 90%, 95% of the time, they're going to eat that. But if you throw a little tuna out there, it's, it's like, cracked to them. You know, they're, they're not going to usually turn that down. That's, like, a little, like, six-inch blackfin? Yeah, I mean, four, five, six inches. Very um, small. Yeah, and, and if you're dead boat, if you're, you know, you're on a dead boat and you have one come up and, you know, you're fighting one and one comes up, you know, chasing a squid chain as you're bringing it in when a boat stops, you throw in a, that that you know, dead bonita and sink it, they're going to eat it. Um, Georgie does more of the live baiting. You can comment more on that because that's pretty fun. He'll let them tell you some stories with that. Yeah, the past two years we've started experimenting with some live bait. You know, we'll pass a fad and we'll drop down a quill rig, a sabiki rig, and pick up a few if we're marking them. And uh, we have these pitch tubes that we've been experimenting with. It's pretty much a five to seven gallon bucket that we hook up to our in deck uh, live well pumps and we can hold bait in there for the better part of 45 minutes to an hour and it makes a big difference when you're coming up sometimes you know 
you'll you'll raise up a wolf pack and you'll get everything you can on on the ballyhoos and your dead boat and stop pitch out a couple live baits and you'll usually get picked up again we've I want to say we hooked like four or five triples this year in the wow. DR. What yeah. kind of bait is that going to be? The same little bonitas? Same little live bonitas. That's yeah. it's what the panga guys are getting off the fad. And right. We just troll by. If we mark them on the sonar, we'll drop down the sabiki rig, get a few, try and keep biggest ones, the most succulent ones in the live well. And this year, I actually, I remember we tried and bridle them with some wax floss, but um, we got into a wolf pack and I pitched one out and it was dead to bring it in just rip it off had a piece of floss hanging off of it and i just grabbed another one out of the well and hooked it like a pilchard like just straight through the nose and tossed it over and before it could even sink down it got, got piled it. on we were already tight it was quickest coolest thing i'd ever experienced so much chaos everything was going on so quick it was it was really memorable yeah that's a good way to get a bite when you're not really trolling because yeah if well, it doesn't need any action you could be dead boated and just We've also seen that, you know, there's sometimes you raise a fish and he'll look at the ballyhoo and he won't want it, you know, the chugger, and completely deny it. And we, that instant, we knew, pull it out of gear, drop a live bait, and he switched on to the live bait. That's what he wants is a ballyhoo. Yeah, I mean, he no doesn't want the ballyhoo. He wants to... Yeah, he wanted, he wanted the live bait. Right. That's actually what the panga guys use to catch the blues. They'll, they'll, they'll troll around like a little squid skirt with a hook on it, and they, you know, they'll get them live, hook them through the nose, and put it on a bullet buoy and drift it and once the bully boy starts ripping they go after it and they, they fight it you know like mano a mano yo yo oh really that's how they catch them with so that's like buoy fishing the way they fish yeah I mean even dead, they'll float dead ones out there you know that's that's how those penguin guys are catching the blue ones they work they get them on that yeah that's how they're fishing they're putting like a little like they put out a little spread a little long line buoy spread maybe yeah. even just like one or two if that you know because they don't have rods no no no. I remember I, I fished down there with one of those little penguin boats near shore and they had little pieces of rebar as lead, and he cut out like a four inch rebar or six inch rebar, two yeah. inch rebar, like that was his different weight system. Yeah. Which is very primitive, you know, it's awesome. But you guys are fishing on badass boats and you're talking about those, the sonars. Mm-hmm. Did any of the boats have the side sonars or the, the ones that drop down like the periscope? Yeah, that's what I mean by, when I say sonar, that's what I mean, it sounded like a chirp sounder, your regular Right, like a chirp sounder. Yeah. So like, what's the main benefit of that? Um, I've heard people marking blue marlin before they get a bite. That's not just your normal Furuno depth finder. That's a, a chirp sonar. That it's a periscope that goes, or I'm calling it a periscope, but it's a it's a it's something that goes down underwater and sticks under the water and gets like a better picture, right? Correct. Yeah, it's yeah. think about a, a 360 chirp. That's what it basically what it is, and it scans like it, think about radar but underwater. Right. That's what it basically does. And, and you're getting alerted by the captain maybe before you get a bite. Um, every boat's different. Like on our boat, we um, we actually rotate every two hours. There's two mates on it, so one one's down there running the pit, and then one's upstairs working the sonar constantly because the captain has to look back at the spread, you know, look at his has chirp, you know, drive the boat, look at his teasers, keep an eye out for fads. Yeah, especially down there, keep an eye out for fads. So we made it a habit of actually just every two hours rotating the mates, and it's it's like a video game, and it uh, it actually gets you, you know. It's pretty exciting. You, you, get, you get to see the fish, you know, where he's at and kind of like turn your boat and be like, all right, he's, you know, 200 degrees or, you know, to 20 degrees this way, turn and, and then you mark So you're, you're pointing it to a direction and then if you see it at that direction, you turn that way? Uh, the sonar just keeps spinning. Oh, it just it's, keeps spinning. It's 360 and, and you kind of like, you use your, you know, the buttons or whatnot, you know, you drop on any vet markers so you kind of know where that fish was and then you mark them again. 
and then you drop another Libra mark, you kind of see which way he's tr he's working, and you kind of point your boat towards that way. Wow. It's a far cry from what those Dominicans are working with. It's right. it's definitely an unfair advantage, and it, it takes a lot of the guessing game out of right. you know trying to find fish. Right. What, what does the marlin look like when it comes across the screen? Like a hot dog. A hot dog. Not a boomerang. No, no. that's on the chirp. That's it's, on the chirp. It's pretty cool when you mark them on the sonar. You'd be like, all right, I got one. You know, six hundred feet in front of the boat, and you work and you work and you come over them, and then all of a sudden you mark them on the chirp, and you get the boomerang. Like, oh, there he is, one hundred and fifty feet, and then. A few seconds later, there he is, right teaser, and you know the whole chronological order of it. It's pretty exciting, and then you got to run down the bridge. Right. Are you guys yeah. doing that in St. Thomas? Is that a, is that just kind of like a DR thing, or like the chirp work in other areas the, for the, the blue marlin? I think this, so. I have I've only used it in the Dominican Republic and in uh, Bermuda, and uh, I know it works everywhere. It definitely anywhere. Works. Yeah, anywhere. We just got ours installed a few weeks yeah. ago, so we haven't we haven't played with it yet, but. We're definitely going to. Not this year in the Caribbean, but over in the Pacific. So That goes back to like what we were saying earlier about working on a custom boat. Like I'd imagine there's a lot of like cheaper boats that don't have chirps, but some of the boats you work on, there, a lot of the custom ones, they have the money to put into that, yeah. that chirp, and then you got to play with it, and you're on a boat that has the best technology there For is us, out there. Absolutely. For us, it was spend a season down in the DR in Cap Canna, fish next to guys like Vinny and Shay and see what they produced with the sonar and what we could without it, and clear as cut, they Make clean a decision choice. to get it. Yeah, go get it, put it in the boat. Yeah. I want it. Anybody use that sail fishing? Um, I haven't used a sail fishing yet. Uh, it does work in shallow water. You just have to mess with the settings. I haven't messed with it yet, but I know guys that do use it trolling for sailfish and stuff like that. I, I will say this about the sonar, and, and you can several guys have different opinions on it, it has a negative aspect because you could be chasing a fish that's not going to eat. So you're constantly, you know, going a certain way, you know, and chasing that fish and you're, you know, you're, maybe you're messing up your tack, you know, if you've got right. a down sea spread and you want to turn and you're in an up sea spread. So you kind of have to know when, when and how to use it and not sort of depend on it because you kind of lose your fishing instinct. As a fisherman, we have an instinct. And if you depend on a piece of machine and that machine doesn't work that one day, so then, well, then what? You know, you become dependent on this one thing for so much time. Did you really lose, you know, your instinct? I think right. you have to, it, it's definitely a tool to make your, 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 you know, up yourself, your, your game and, you know, get yourself in the hunt a little bit better. You just got to have to know when and how. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you got a badass piece of technology like that, you think you can just maybe forget about the basics, but you can't, you got to do everything else right. And you got to focus on everything else. One of the things I remember from Vinny, I was, uh, we were in Cat Island and we were talking about our baits and getting ready for the next day. And Vinny walked by us and we were rigging our ballyhoos and he said, no bellies. And that stuck with me, but like, I, rem I learned something from that, but I'm gonna let Vinny say what that means, talking about rigging a ballyhoo. Yeah, so you're rigging your swimmers, you always want to, you know, belly down, you always want to, you know, see the backs of them, you don't want them to roll over on your side. And I think that's just with anything, uh, especially when your bait fishing presentation is everything and attention to detail. But uh, definitely when you're rigging your values and just care for them and, you know, take care of them just like you with a live bait and make sure that the presentation right is, is, is right, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you said that to me, I thought about it the whole next day. I'm like, man, I'm seeing the bellies on my ballyhoo. And it took me a good while to, like, figure out how to not get the belly to, you know, to be able to see it. Mm -hmm. um, it was taking out that extra little piece of the air bladder or whatever it was. But, yeah, it comes down to the details. Minus St. Thomas. Yeah. Hands down the North Drop. 
yeah. I'll pick that almost every time. We'll right. see what the Pacific holds. That's well, true. Might yeah. be something different, you know, new new place, new adventure. But yeah, I guess fifty bites a day might take the cake there. But it might, it might. But yeah. it's something. Just I just remember one day we had this like Eddie called it eight hundred. It looked like a submarine to me behind the center rigger, and I don't know. I don't know if they Pacific can match that. Yeah, big fish. Big fish, man. Like and just inches away from you know giving us a shot and you just you never know but you're just seeing something that big wake behind the 72 foot boat and paddle and just be a wild animal it was something very special and i don't know if many other places can replicate that right right <coughs> what about you Vinny? um i mean i could, i guess i could sit here and say the dominican republic i've been fishing so long and seeing all the stuff i've seen there but I think the Bahamas has just a special place in my heart, you know, that's kind of where I started out as far as traveling. <coughs> uh, made a lot of friends there, won some tournaments, uh, killed my only blue marlin there, and it's just too many memories and too many cool little spots that it's just hard to pass up on. Bahamas is definitely probably one of my favorite places I've been. Yeah, so Bahamas is it's tough to fish. You're not gonna catch a lot, so you gotta really pay attention to detail, but you do have a chance at getting a big one. Yeah, I mean, I, the only slam I've caught is in the Bahamas, um, and some of the, I've had some really great fishing there as far as, you know, white marlin, sail, white marlin sailfish, you know, especially like in Canada in the springtime, and, you know, then you got your wahoos and your tunas in the mix, you know, you got your deep dropping, you got your mutton fishing if you want to, you know, there's just so many different things, it's not just bill fishing, but uh, I think even bill fishing still has a lot to offer, and there's a lot of gems that not many people talk about, you know. Uh, especially down the island that there's some really cool stuff to do and people keep it private you know and, which is fine because you don't want to exploit it and it's not like you really can because there's not like a marina or a giant airport to get to but the bahamas is definitely it's not like what everybody thinks you know people are listening out there it's not the bahamas is not just nassau atlantis and casinos there's a lot of little cool island chains out there that you can explore that that's the real 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 bahamas definitely yeah i mean the southern bahamas is not yeah we would consider the real bahamas but yeah some of those places are they're small little islands, so if there's a bunch of boats fishing them, it's a big problem. Because there's, you know, like Sandy Point and San Sally, it's, you know, it's a little spot. Yeah. Whereas like Abacos is maybe like a big real estate of an area, but some of those, it's good that they keep them kind of like quiet. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can be a hero coming back with just one fish. Yeah, I mean. On the dock, right? I mean, the Abacos, you catch one more in a day, you're, you're doing a good day. It's a good day. Right, right. <laughs> I'd so like, I always think, Looking at you guys on, you know, these sport boats, it's got to be a lot of other guys that want to be on these boats in your position. Um, obviously, you guys got here somehow, some way. You guys were either lucky enough, good enough, but, like, how did you guys get started in this, uh, Georgie? Well, I, I kind of had a leg in it. My old man um, still has center console Rockstar 39 CV, and he very competitively... And still actively fishes uh, the sailfish tournaments uh, from 2007 on to now. And he did very well for himself, and I was very fortunate to get to go and fish with him. And that's where I developed my passion, really, for it and the competitiveness. And just bill fishing, too, was really fascinating to me. And from there, I go on to see guys like, you know, Scott Leon and we won the World Sailfish Championship and the Pro Series in 2009, which was probably one of the biggest things to me as a kid. It was it was the coolest, you know, for something that I didn't think was that cool amongst 
the people I grew up with, it was very, very cool to me. And then um, getting to know Vinny, he was in it, and he kind of took me under his wing and showed me a lot of the right things, wrong things to do, and just how to get started and how to build a work ethic. And he helped me out a lot and just kind of word of mouth and doing the best I can every opportunity I got. I'd go right along, do anything I can to just get a shot, figured if I did a hard enough job, good enough job, they'll invite me back, do it again. One day I'll maybe all right, let's let's employ this guy, let's get him paid, let's let's use him. And after that it just kinda just it grew and I figured out what I wanted out of this job and it was a full time salary gig with a traveling boat that I got to see different things and got to take care of one boat and really put everything I had into it. And thanks to guys like Vinny and Kyle and a lot of those guys, they uh I got to where I wanted to be and that's where I'm at now. So pretty much I just say just ride along. You got to do everything you can. Go around the charter boats. You need to put your time in and learn the pit. And you can't just walk onto a private boat and think that it's going to be easy or you can do anything. You know, it's somebody else's circle. You need to understand how, how it works. You know, you, you got to clean up after yourself. No leaving water bottles around in the cup holders. None of that little stuff. You clean the fish box every day. But uh, you definitely need to. Go out there, whatever it takes to get out there, as many reps as you can, as many chances as you can give yourself, you want to be out there. And yeah, even if you're riding make. along and not getting paid, I mean, some of these guys... You start like that. You start. A lot of guys start like that, you, gotta, you know. Yeah, One you thing to prove me is, yourself. I never wanted to ask for something I wasn't worth, to me. <clears throat> so when I started, I, you know, if I didn't think I was worth something, I wasn't going to ask for it. But once yeah. I decided my wealth, my, my worth, and my value, that's when things change and you realize where you stand and what you need and what you want. Yeah, you got to prove your worth. I, exactly. I'd, I'd say in this occupation, like, you got to want to do this. They're not going to come out to you and ask you if you want a job. Like, you have to make it, you know, if you want to be on a boat, like you just, like you said, like volunteer just to be there, like be around, like yeah. be convenient for them to call you. And then it's easy to call you, anybody it, and see if they're <clears> available, you know. It's, but you got to make it a point that you want to be there and you want to do this. And yeah. then, because there's plenty of other people that want to do it too. So, when they can, when they know that there's a guy that's that's free and he's gonna make himself free to to be a priority to that boat, like they're gonna go after that guy because he wants to obviously be there. Yeah, and I think most of the time too, if you ride along and, and, and you work hard enough, the owner's gonna see that. And even at the end of the day, he might slip you, you know, two hundred dollar tip or a hundred fifty dollar tip when you weren't expecting anything, and that goes a long way too. You know, kind of shows appreciation. You're like, oh, you know, I did something right today. Yeah, definitely. How'd you get your start, Vinny? Um, it's funny because everybody asked me, like, you know, who was your dad or was your dad a captain? Like, I was like, in my family, nobody loved the ocean. So uh, I've always loved it. I've always fished, you know, growing up, you know, where there's fresh water. I think my first time offshore was my neighbor. Uh, Tim was one of my childhood lifelong best friends. And his dad took me out, you know, mahi fishing in the Keys. That was probably like my first time really getting a taste of the offshore. And uh, when I got into the industry, I was working at, at a healthcare management company. And uh, I did freelancing on the side here and there and kind of got my name out there. But, you know, you had guys like Nelson Fonseca, who used to own Complete Angler, still fishes. Great guy, gave me a chance, you know, took mm -hmm. me as a ride along in tournaments. And uh, actually, George, Nelson Fonseca was Georgie's dad's first captain. And they won their yeah. first tournament on the Rockstar on that boat. Yeah. 2007, that was the first trip it ever did yep. to the Bahamas. We won the first two tournaments it ever did, the LBA and the... Uh, 
Kiwanis. Yeah, Big Five. five. I was with Nelson. I was with Nelson, yeah. I fished with Nelson and Jose when they owned the Complete Angler. And that was kind of before I was working on boats, part of my start. That's funny, we all three of us have kind of like this thing. Same group of people, same family, the Fonsecas, that kind of like put us in contact. I think George's dad is also, I get credit that. George's dad is one of the, he gave me an opportunity to to fish tournaments uh, as a paid crew and actually, you know, run the boat a couple times. And, you know, we still to this day fish together. Yeah. And he was one of the first guys, I would say. And uh, my first full-time job was on a boat called The Full-Time and hired by Luis Perez, uh, was my first boss. Still really good friends. I still get to fish with them. That's pretty much how I got into it and just kind of worked my way up and got lucky with the right opportunities. And if I can give anybody the word of advice is, uh, you know, head down, hard work, you know, and just realize that it's not always, it's not about the fishing. You know, if you're getting in this industry, it's because you love to fish, but your most of your job is, I would say, you know, 80 to 20 is taking care of the boat. Is like you said earlier, you know, entertaining the guests, cooking. And um, another big thing is just, you know, your next job could be looking at you on the dock, you know. You Definitely. Gotta, you, you know, your dock behavior and your, your, your professionalism goes a long, long way in this industry. You don't want to be one of these guys in the dock that are causing a scene, you know, constantly getting drunk or, you know, acting a fool because an owner sees that and that could be your next job. And you'd be like, you know what? I don't want that guy on my boat. I don't want that. You know, the travel's like yeah. wildfire for sure. Yeah. Like we talked about before, like there's no LinkedIn for fishing. There's no crew no. finder. There's no crew finder, like you said. And the way we get, you know, the way we feel out the person who you might hire or you might invite is by calling the other people. Yeah, the people and they've been around. The people they've been around. And the best thing that they can do is give you their honest advice about the person because then you're going to put their reputation on the line. Yeah. Um, that, and it travels really fast. So you, I, I remember being very careful with what I did around the, the cr- other crews and all the other owners, making sure that what they saw of me was the best, you know, that I could offer so I wasn't, you know, drinking around them and acting a fool around them because I realized how quick... You know, yeah. word got around. Everybody knows everybody in this and industry, or they it, know somebody. It gets hard to recommend people, you know, after a while, because after that, you know, that's a representation of you when you send somebody off on another boat and you give them your word that this guy's going to perform. And, you know, if he starts slacking off or doing something that's, you know, may not be politically correct or something, it's a reflection of you and your character, and you don't want that. Right. I think the biggest thing too is you know you get sent to these crazy locations you know where everybody's usually on vacation people go there to vacation and then you get in the mindset is I'm on vacation no you're there to work you know your job is to work and you're essentially in charge of a four five six seven eight million dollar vessel and the people that are on it and you some people lose touch of that and uh, they go into the drinking vendors or whatever they're gonna go out and start partying and you know you fall off the wagon and kind of get a bad rep and that that hurts you. Going yeah. back to what you said, Georgie, me and Chris were actually talking, I don't know, a couple months ago, and we were talking with different people asking us, you know, if, hey, do you know someone looking for a, that's looking for a mate? Or, and it's, it's so hard for, you know, if you haven't been around somebody a lot or you haven't worked with them, it's hard to, like, you know, call somebody up and be like, hey, because someone knows what, how, how you work. And yeah. you know, when they're asking you if you know somebody, they want someone, obviously, of like you or that's going to put the same effort towards something and you don't want to be like oh yeah you know he he's a great guy and all of a sudden you know he and he calls you back with things like dude what the hell was that yeah you know? <laughs> yeah and, you're, and, then, and then you're like well you know i haven't talked to the guy so you know even that you know Vinny, like you know helped you out you know says a lot about you that he had a lot of faith in you 
Um, because that's hard to find. A lot of people, like you said, nobody wants to you know stick their neck out unless you just know exactly who the person really is because you don't want to be on the other end. It took yeah. a lot of beating between his dad and I. So have I. No, I mean, I think when, when Georgie first went to St. Thomas and we took him as, uh, as, as a crew because we, we needed a fourth guy to get down there. And um, I said, all right, we got down there, we got settled in and we said, all right, let's go out for a drink. And he's like, I thought we don't. I'm like, no, you can, you, you know, you can go out, have a beer or two, and then go to bed early and enjoy your fishing next day. Because to be honest, who likes to go fishing when it's rough and being hungover? Yeah. It's miserable. And that, that's it's something cool. that's always stuck with me ever since that day. That was up at ITP on the, uh, I think it was even on the east side. I remember where we were sitting because I didn't drink that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like James Turner told me a good saying. It goes, feels good to feel good. Feels good to wake up in the morning and feel good. That wake up and up in the morning, hungover, and knowing that it's going to be rough, and you got to go out there and, and deal with that, it's, it takes years off your life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you're not, like you said, you're not there for that. No. You're there to be a, you know, a good mate and a good crew to the boat. Yeah. It's like, what, what would you say would make a good mate? Like some qualities that you would say, I guess, fishing wise. Uh, you know, no doubt I, I look for somebody who's got the drive and the passion, someone who wants to be out there. Uh, I don't need anybody sitting in the cockpit who's going to doze off or daydream or not have their head in the game because you know depending on where you fish you know one shot might be all you get and i need somebody on their toes or someone you know who's attentive to the boss notice he's drinking a lot of water when you see him without a cup hey you want a water it goes a long way so anybody who wants to think above and beyond and do the extra i find that as a good quality it's something that i try and do when i can when i think about it i try and always do everything extra that I can maybe it's like I said it's not all about fishing so all the extras count to me everything catering it's all part of the job yeah and Vinny I think attention to detail goes and that's you know fishing and mm-hmm. you know the whole taking care of the boat take care of the, of the guests attention to detail is a, a huge thing and just that drive of just wanted to you know do the best every day every day is not essentially a tournament um, but you want to go out there and you always want to come back with, you know, the most flags or the most releases or the biggest fish of that day. Even in, in the Dominican Republic, it's it's not a tournament every day, but amongst us, it really is. Like, yeah. You know, you might have had eight bites, but the next boat might have had 15 bites, and you kind of get upset about it. And I think you don't want to let it ruin your day. You don't want to, you know, show it in your attitude, but you, it's got to want to, you know, light a fire under your ass and be like, all right, this is what I want to be the best every day I go out. And I think that that makes a crew member stand out or even a captain. Right. I think, I think one thing that's like I maybe overlooked in the job that, you know, it's just a normal thing to you guys, but to people who aren't on boats or aren't working forget is a lot of the job is just doing stuff that you don't need to be told to do. Like if you see a water bottle or you see something wrong, just you do it. You don't ask, you know, you don't need to be told to, Hey, go pick this up or go to, you got to, Kind of, kind of work on your own a little bit. If you see something needs to be waxed or something needs to be polished, like, and you have nothing going on, like, you just do it. You don't, yeah. you don't need to be asked to do it. And I think yeah. a lot of people, obviously, you guys have been working on boats for a while, so it's just that's just a normal thing to you. You don't think anything of it, but a lot of people getting into this into the sport or want to work on boats, you know, if you have to sit around and be and, and be asked to do something, you're not going to last very long in a program. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, Nobody wants to babysit. No, absolutely. Yeah, I remember asking a captain, I'm like, hey, man, what, what should I do? He's like, you know what to do. Yeah. And I'm like, I was like, man, I kind of don't. That's why I asked. But 
the truth is you got to figure out something to do and stay busy. It's not always a captain's job to like micromanage you, like you said. They don't need to babysit you. No, absolutely. Um, but not. if you're a go-getter, you're gonna go find something to do. And yeah. It clicked in me. I was like, he just basically told me, just stay busy. Don't come ask me. Figure it out on figure your own. Last thing you want to do as an owner to be on the boat and there'd be nothing going on. You're just sitting there. Yeah. And, and there could be things to do because he's gonna you. Why, why am I paying this guy to just sit there? Like make yourself always look busy, even if you're not busy. I just. <laughs> If you're on the boat with a bunch of other guys and two out of three guys are working, you got to find something to do. (laughs) (laughs) Like some captains don't give you guidance and some do, but like what would you say is like makes a good captain? At least what do you want to be? What kind of captain do you want to work for? Uh, I have to say I'm probably working for one of the captain, the captain I want to work for. He's he's getting really good with communication. He's really good with uh, with definitely the fishing. He's amazing at it. He's been doing it for a very long time. He's teaching a lot, you know. It's, it's all all about that. Just family. Let's talk. Let's figure out our schedule. Let's figure out what we're doing. And that's all definitely uh, qualities I think make a good captain. I think mine has that um, communication. That's the biggest, most important thing. Because you got to know how you're feeling. You work with this guy every day. You don't want to have to be fighting each other. You want to be on the same page. So communication is very, very important. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're on different levels. You're he's up top, you're down below, and you can't always have. Yeah, well, yeah. he he's got a lot going on upstairs. You need to be in charge of everything else that he can't see or be in, in control of. You know, you need to let him know that everything's okay downstairs when he can't see it. I don't think a lot of captains say that you're only as good as your crew. You know, yeah. Right. Usually, all the good captains have good crews, and, and you know, the good crews he's working for the good captains. You know? Right. And that makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think working with James, uh, I mean, I've, I've gotten to work with some, some pretty good captains. I've gotten to ride along with some really good captains and, and learn from them. I think just the biggest thing is that you said, you know, you don't want a captain that's going to micromanage you and it's kind of going to want to let you do your thing as long as, you, as long as you're doing the right thing, you know. And, and, right. and if you're not doing the right thing, that they voice, like Jordan, you said, communicate. They voice your opinion because you could be doing something and you think you're doing the right thing, but you might not be. Yeah, um, and I think you want a captain too that looks out for the owner's uh, best interest and the, the boat's best interest. You know, you got captains that you know they're really good at the fishing aspect, but they don't take care of the boats. Right, you know, and, and that that catches up to you because you can be the best fisherman in the world, but if you can't take care of you know the owner's investment. Then yeah. you know what good are you to the owner? Yeah, you're not yeah. going to work on a, a custom boat. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going to work very long. Yeah, you're not going to work very long on a custom boat. Right. it's yeah. going to show. Eventually, it's going to show up. Right. I think Eddie's great with that. I think James is good with that, you know. I mean, James is super organized, and, and that's the thing I learned with him, too, is just organization, just keeping track of everything. I mean, he's got a better memory than I do, and, you know, you ask him what's going on with the boat with this, he knows the answer right away. Right. Yeah, I remember I asked I asked you, Vinny, I was like, you running the boat yet? No, 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 but you seem happy being a mate on the boat. I yeah. think both of you guys can be captains if you really decided to go, you know, go for it, but, you know. If you're with a captain that you like, you might as well stay in that position, right? I mean, I'm, I'm absorbing everything I can every day, learning from him, and just, you know, you got to wait for the right opportunity. I think some, some guys just jump ship because it's a captain's job. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to probably be a good experience, but is it the right experience? You know, is that, that something you want to do? And I've had a conversation with James before. I'm like, you know, I don't want to leave this job to go be another mate. I'm happy where I'm at. We do really well together. You know, if, if, if I'm going to leave here, it's to be my own captain, but it's got to be the right job. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't sacrifice the things in this program that I have to my... I wouldn't sacrifice what I have now with this program for something else of 
maybe ideally more opportunity, but less in the long run. It's got to be big picture. Right. Not the next year. It's the next five years, next 10 years. Right. And, we're, and working for Fawcett has longevity in the business. In the, in, 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 Huge. Yeah. I mean, they could, some of these young, new money, and then they lose all their money. I mean, I'm sure we've seen a whole bunch yeah. in our time that they had a Three boats, and then they had none, and you never hear from them again. Yeah, they fish real hard for two, two, three right. years, and then fall so off. They gotta gotta have a business that's either been around for a long time or one that's doing really good. Yeah, that's um, a, that's another thing you want to look at when you look for a captain is how long have they been on that job? You know, if you have a captain like every other year he's on a different job. I mean, what are you gonna really pick up there? What are you gonna learn? You know, you, you stick with these guys that have been on boats for nine, ten, twelve years, fifteen years. It's rare to find in this industry, but usually those guys are the guys that are in this for the long run, that have done well for themselves, and are on the good jobs. Yeah, there's definitely a high turnover rate. I mean, I just remember when I started working on boats, man, there's a high turnover rate. Yeah. Um, and I always thought about how could I not be part of that high turnover rate? It's, you know? it's, a, chem, it, it's, it's a marriage between your crew and the captain, your captain and the owner, and then your crew and the owner. It's just it's such a it's such a weird weird dynamic. Yeah. It really really has to flow. It's a lot of give and take and a lot of knowing. You know, it's like in a marriage. It says you got to know when to pick your battles. Yeah. And it, it really is. A lot of times you can't walk around with your chip on your shoulder. Yeah. You got to know. Yeah, because you're there on your boss's vacation, so yeah. he's there to have yeah. the best time possible. Yeah. Um, and if you kind of like make his time sour, you're out real quick. Yeah. It's funny what you said earlier, Chris. Like, I was talking to a guy down in Ocean Reef, and he was like, you know, it's funny. Every year you look at the guys enter the tournaments, and you just look at the list of boats. And, like, every year, you know, there's a couple boats where you see their name over and over and over again. But a lot of times you just see new name, new team, new boat. And then you ask, oh, whatever happened to that boat? Oh, the guy had to sell it. Or, you know, the guy went bankrupt. Or... He decided he got burnt out real fast. And there's only a select few boats that are really in big picture talking out there. You know, if you look across the board that have really been like in the game for a long time, and it's gone like almost family, like father, son, grandson, like tradition of boats all the way down. And I feel like those are some of the best programs to work for is when it's been like in the family for like a generation, you know, and they, and they know the, there's not like a, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the endless of, you know, some of those programs, the money, you know, having a, a, a custom, there's having a custom boat and then having a custom boat with really no budget to go yeah. with it. Two different yeah. kind of categories there. And going what you said about being burnt out, it's a lot of times is, you know, you get a guy new in the industry and he gets the wrong crew or the wrong captain and it leaves such a sour taste in his mouth. He's like, you know what? Sport fishing isn't for me. Yeah. And then you yep. just ruin somebody who could have really had a good opportunity, had a future in the industry, created jobs, and, and, and it happened. I mean, I've seen it happen, and, and it gets me mad because sometimes that owner does stay, and then you got to deal with his pre- previous experience, and it you know kind of makes it sour on you, and, and it takes a while to get it out of him. But Yeah, I've been on boats. If there's no boat cash, that's because somebody else ruined that privilege. Yep. Yeah. I've been on a lot of yep. boats that didn't have boat cash. And there was no trust, and you know, it's a quick time. Or a boat yeah. credit card. Yeah, the boat yeah. credit card was taken away because of other guys, and I Abusing think. Using it. And that, that stuff gets around, and like I said, those stories. I knew the stories. I knew why they had, there was no boat cash, um, and you don't want to kind of be in that situation because still happens. Yeah, yeah there's oh, yeah. there's guys that come in, you know, they buy a, a big sport boat, and they think they want to get in. They get a captain, and the captain, you know, just takes full advantage of them and drains their pocket dry. And now there's no program because the guy thinks it costs so much more than what it really does because his captain was putting everything in his pocket. Yeah, yeah. definitely. In the, in the end, you're, you're, 
the boss is spending money on an investment that he's not going to make money on. No. It's, 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 you're, you're, they're wasting money, but they're just having a good time. It's your toys, your vacation. But, I mean, the operating budgets and some of these things are, are, are huge. And to think about it, it's just money they're throwing out the window. What would you say could be, like, a yearly budget for maybe not this operation you're on now, but, like, some of them that you could, the boat could be spending on a yearly basis? I mean, it depends on what you want to factor in, but when you factor in, I mean, how big the crew is and, you know, your, what type of benefits, but, I mean, it could be anywhere from, you know, seven, $800,000 probably, you know. For his hobby. Yeah, that's what for he's his hobby. It's vacation, you know. But some of these guys, that's all they do. That's what they like, you know. Some guys like hunting. Some guys like fishing and hunting. Some guys like cars. You got, you know, the very select few of people that just love to fish so much that that's what they're going to spend to keep it up. Right. I feel like I some, some of those boats might even be more if you if you tournament fish a lot yeah you're yeah. paying all the tournaments and, you, and you're traveling and you know you're going to fish all the big tournaments you know all across like you could be spending like a lot of money oh, yeah. expenses I mean, stack up yeah it, it gets I mean, you got insurances you know you got your marinas and it, it, it does it adds up real quick yeah yeah i mean you're at the top of the game i always like to think about that if you're on a custom boat you're on a traveling boat you're on a tournament boat you made it to the top of the industry in a sense, where you're, you're, you're wanted by the top owners who have the best taste and they always want the best crew. Um, and that goes back to like how we started the podcast that Vinny and Georgie don't have the Instagram following, but they have the doc cred, right? Yeah, they, I don't, I mean, we, I, I had Chris tell me, he's like, man, why don't you get on a YouTube channel? Like this guy's making the 20 grand a month <laughs> on a YouTube channel. Catching bass. Yeah, like catching bass. I'm like, yeah, man, but that guy sold his soul to sponsors and He's got to walk around with, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not knocking him. And the guy's making money. That's what he wants to do. I don't. I love the purity of sport fishing. I love going, chasing fish around the world. And that's what I want to do. I'm not saying we don't get good money for it. But we're not sitting there, you know, just chasing clout. You know, right. we're just doing it because we love the sport. And I love working on boats. So there's a, a gratification of taking care of. It's a piece of artwork when you think you look at these things. And, and it feels good to sit there and know, I mean, this is my boat. I take care of it. And. It runs because we put our hard work into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always mess with Georgia. I'm insta famous, trying to be famous. Yeah. And you always kind of like downplay it, but that's why we wanted to have you guys on. You know, we wanted real mates, real fishermen, good fishermen that are respected on the docks. Hear your stories. Hear some of the you know details about what we talked about, and that was awesome. So we want to ask you guys some quick questions that we're just gonna fire off and get quick answers. And, you know, not going into too much detail, get a number, a yes or a no, and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, so, biggest tournament win, number-wise? Uh, if I can remember correctly, I think it was the Sailfish Pro Series. That was hundred grand on the Rockstar. And it, it was not Key West? No, I don't think it was Key West. You think of the whole series is what he said. Oh, okay, because Key West yeah. was a big one. Um, well, I don't remember, but it was, I know it was a big one. Um, Damn. You- I think for me, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was either the Jimmy Johnson with uh, on, with his dad on the Rockstar or the uh, Abacos uh, BBC on the full time. One of the, one of those two is around the same price, probably like ninety grand, ninety five grand. Nothing too big, but yeah, uh, that'll do it, man. That'll do it. I mean, those are big numbers for people that aren't fishing, you know. Yeah. And what tournaments were those? What tournament was that that you won? The um, the Jimmy Johnson. That was Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Which Carter. is a huge tournament. It was actually uh, the year before they made it the million dollar purse. Uh, yeah, yep. year and off. A year off, but it was great. It was a man. It was that was a roller coaster. That was with Georgie. Actually, he was on the boat too. Yeah, right. 
Uh, I was off the chain. Dang. And I remember the Key West that you won, which is I keep bringing it up. We were fishing. A rock stars running in shore of us, and a free jumper jumps off their bow. And all of a sudden, they do a U-turn and start throwing out baits. And you guys were hooked up to a couple fish. That put you guys in the lead and was the first big tournament that I think you and your family won. And I got to watch you guys, you know, a couple hundred yards behind the boat win that thing in front of us, which was badass. Now we're here talking about it. That was another big tournament you guys won. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the first big ones that the boat ever won. Um, we talk about those first two that it did in 2007, but as far as sailfish tournaments, those are, that was one of the first ones we really solidified what we could do on that boat. And, uh, and that was with Scott Leon and Kyle Sherman. And Leo. And Leo. Happy, yeah, Leo. Happy, happy birthday, Leo. Oh, it's Leo's birthday happy today. Happy birthday, bud. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, he's won one with you, and he's won one with, with us, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, the uh, biggest blue that, or the only blue marlin I killed was with Leo. Yeah, yeah that's right. Awesome. What's your best day blue marlin release, single day release number? Uh, that was this year with Shay on the marlin, darling. We think we were 10 for 15, 10 awesome. for 15, 10 for 16, something like that. And Double digits. Yeah, Dominican Republic. Yeah, in the Dominican Republic, Cap Canna. And yeah, that was I know I didn't think that would ever happen to me. I'd ever get so lucky to catch double digit blue marlin. So that was like the most surreal day. And I was getting to do it with my buddies and it was you know, I was riding along, I wasn't getting paid, I was just out there having fun, hanging out and just trying to make the best of it. And that was a very special, special day to me. Nice. What about you, Ben? Uh the most we thought of Khan day was actually this year as well. That was 10. I think we were 10 for 13, and that was actually with Shay on the Marlin Darling again. Nice. Uh, they, they had an incredible year, and uh, I got to fish a lot, a lot with them this year. Uh, they were shorthanded, and you know he would you know pick the boys up off the dock, and it, it was some of the most fun we had this year. I got to fish with uh, John Louis Dudas, one of the goats. Yeah. That was a uh, that was an experience too. That, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but I think the most bites I've had was 20 or sorry. Uh, 18 down there, and uh, I think we saw over 25 fish that day. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Shay's a good fisherman. Shay's an excellent fisherman, man. He's uh, he's he's going to be a really good captain when somebody gives him a chance behind the wheel. And he's very, uh, he's very he likes to, you know, think outside the box. Right. Yeah. Maybe we should have him on the podcast one I day. I think, man. Shout out to the Cap, yeah, Cap Canna boys. Shout yeah, out buddy. to the Cap Canna boys. Cap and Canna what's boys. your uh, highest release for a day for sailfish? Uh, we were... 21 for almost 30 bites this past year uh the day after the jimmy johnson nice. on my boat <laughs> yeah a day late and dollar short but right. uh i have to say that that's probably one up there for me and you Vinny? uh i was actually just i, you know, I know that was on the list of questions so uh i didn't remember how many day um, how many fish it was but i had to text ben and that was we caught 21 and that was in the uh, silver sailfish derby that was a year that the bike just went off and over, right. yeah, just a thousand, I don't know how many, a thousand sailfish were caught during that tournament. And it was 21 we caught. I don't know how many bites we had that day, but it was quite a bit. That's awesome. That was Palacio de la Hugo's day? That was a Tiburon Palacio de la Hugo's day. Yeah. That, was, that was when I first started out. Yeah, that's when I first remembered, you know, seeing you around yeah. in, the, in the circuit. Yeah, going back to starting out, that was a, one of the people I started out with too, was me, Ben and I kind of started out, you know, together and some of the most fun and some of the biggest wins too. I think yeah. our first tournament win was on the the little yellow black fin. It was a Fort Lauderdale billfish, and it was our first tournament ever fishing together. And we beat 
John Louis Dudas when he was on the wound up. Wow. That was like, we were like, man, there's like, who are all these guys in this little tiny yellow black fin? Yeah. <laughs> then you, there was some other sport because you guys were on, I don't even remember the what the make was. Yeah. It was a Hatteras. That was the second boat. The that was awesome. Yeah, the Tiburon yeah. too. Yeah. So if you had the marlin fish, I know it depends on the area, but dead bait or lures? And if, if it's dead bait, where and lures where? Uh, I, I like dead baiting. So I, I, I like dead baiting. Yeah. DR, I like dead baiting. In St. Thomas, I've come real accustomed to teaser fishing and pull one lure. But uh, I do like dead baiting, just getting a drop back, right? pitch to the fish. What about you, Vinny? Uh, I love bait fishing. I think it's a lot more interactive. The bite, I think the bite's cooler. Um, however, I mean, I've won a lot of money fishing lures. Uh, a lot of dailies, killed the big fish, you know, fishing lures. Um, I like to mix it up too sometimes, you know, depending on where you're at. You know, you, you, know, you want to get a slam, you got your white and your sail, you know, fire a lure out there while you're bait fishing. Not, not opposed to that. Uh, Bermuda, strictly lure fishing. Here or there for one fish and four lure spread, a couple of teasers, you know, a couple of dredges and bowling pins and whatnot. Pretty much it. So it depends on where you're at. Pretty much where I'm at, but if I mean, if I had to take a choice, I, it's hard to pass up a macro in a valley hoop. Right. So. It's more interactive, right? It's not just like you can turn around and the rod just doubled over. Yeah. Yeah. And your ideal trolling speed, I guess, for one for bait, one for lure, right? Because it's completely different. Uh, eight knots. Yeah. Eight yeah. knots for me, too. I think you can still fish mm. eight to eight knots, too. Yeah. It's, you know, how you're fishing and where. That would be on the faster range for bait fishing? I call it like a, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. bait fishing, yeah. That's like a nice medium. Right. So your bait's got to be rigged right. Yeah, yeah. rigged right, yeah. Or what you're using for bait, you know. Right. You, might, you might not be using a swimmer. You might be using a little hooker head on it. Right, which, right. So. Nice. How many days a year would you say you guys are traveling? Uh, we, we would be close to, let's say... Hundred and eighty days close to. Wow. Yeah. We'll be gone time. for six we've gone for six months. Right. Wow. If you this will, our boat will be gone for a year now. Yeah. We don't have a return ship. Oh the boat will be we're gone. Like, Won't even be back here. Yeah, when we get on a ship for Mag Bay, we, we don't have a return ship yet. So the boat will just live over there for now. Nice. Yeah. You better have a comfortable bed on that thing. <laughs> no doubt. I think if you ask my fiance, she says that I'm gone all year. Right. <laughs> yeah. See, you're never home. Um, yeah. I think us we're we're probably gone more around eight months. You know. Well, that's even longer. I mean, even yeah. longer. Yeah. yeah. I think we 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 probably spend a lot more time uh, out of the country than most boats. And we don't really really have a home here in South Florida uh, for the boat. I think maybe Stewart when we go to the boat yard and if we're stuck around here for a little bit longer, we go to Lighthouse Point Marina. Right. Georgia, I'm sure you fit in the beds just fine. I fit in, yeah, most beds most, just fine. Did he, do you have a special bed? Because I barely fit. I'm 6'1". Uh, and how I, tall are you? I'm 6'5". So, <laughs> did they make love... a special bunk for you in the I, boat? I don't have a special bunk. Uh, funny story, when I first started working on the real I had a, the 61 Garlington. Yeah. Um, I had my first anxiety or maybe claustrophobic attack on it. The first night I went to sleep on it, I uh, jumped into bed and the roof was literally four or five inches from my face up in the top bunk the bottom bunk was impossible to get into you just couldn't square it on it because of the where the closet was laid out and uh, i had to leave the boat because i just couldn't breathe and uh, i had to stuff at chris's couch like a little oh, fat, yeah. little fat uh, couch that night but uh 
I become accustomed to it, and definitely with the newer boat, the Jim Smith, the beds are a lot bigger. Right. That's important. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, you're sleeping <laughs> in a, I mean, it's smaller than a single. I mean, usually the mate's yeah. quarters is small. Usually smaller. Yeah. Than a single Way bed. smaller than a single bed, and you're there. I mean, well, they'll be they'll like be fitted to however the boat layout is. So uh, like right. one end might be a little wider than the other. So you got to. Yeah. Know, that's your end for your feet. Yeah. yeah <laughs> or one of the boats I was on had such a. a, a an incline towards the transom so the transom was lower than the bow and your head should have been by the transom which was like three or four inches lower than your feet and I laid there and the blood just ran to my head <laughs> and I, I was like I can't sleep like this so I turned around and it was just like the situation you were saying where the the roof the liner was like inches from my nose and it drove me nuts it's just I could I was, man anxiety it was what that happened anxiety yeah um, and if it gets hot in there and you get that anxiety oh boy yeah it's not good and it makes it tough because like I said you guys are traveling a lot so it's sleep is huge to be comfortable yeah. and yeah. you know sleep is is a big thing fully yeah. rested yeah that's important so if you had to pick your ideal marlin spread I, I guess it depends on all the different places but your favorite spread to what would you put on your teasers? What would you put on your shorts? Uh, how would you fish that real quick? Uh, St. Thomas, um, I like fishing. I've always, in St. Thomas, fished cockpit teasers. And on my cockpit teasers, I, I really like the plungers, like a Moyes plunger or a Black Bart plunger. Those seem to fish really good for me. I have a lot of good luck with those. Um, I have this massive extreme breakfast that I fish on my bridge teaser. And I'm pretty sure Eddie hates me for it, but we throw that thing out there and it throws a huge wake. And sometimes it's hard to get fish to switch off of it, but uh, that's another favorite of mine for the bridge teaser. And then uh, I, I do like to fish one uh, uh, artificial dredge, dark colors, and then one side uh, bowling pins. Nice. Yeah. And then no, there's no hooks out there. Well, my center rigger will have a hook. Just That'll your be hook. one, yeah, the only hook in the water. And then what's your what's your pitch look like then? It's it's a mackerel, nice. small mackerel. And you'd have one or two. I have two on each count each corner of the boat, and then I'll have a small ba- uh, large value, but as my small bait, my small pitch. Right. Off to the side, either in the rocket launcher or the of the chair, or right. off to the side on the tower leg. So with that setup, you're you're teasing a fish in from the cockpit because I know somebody that fished on. That boat a long time ago, and there was cockpit teasers. Mm-hmm. And they love the fact that the mate teases the fish in. Yeah, I know. It, it is fun. And it's, it's a weird, interesting feeling at first. You know, like the first time I ever did, I'm like, I'm reeling away from a fish. This is different. And, uh, but, no, it, it's really cool to, like, almost try and beat the fish to the corner of the boat and get him in the nice, the cleanest tease you can possibly bring. You don't want to skip the lure too much because he'll fade away sink it out he'll get a good bite out of it if he gets too good he'll let it go want something else but um it's challenging and it's a team effort which is definitely right a cool thing about when you're working with everybody on the boat so cockpit teasing is a lot of fun right yeah. what about you Vinny? favorite favorite marlin spread in any of the locations uh two ballyhoos long with hookers a little chuckers on them uh two flat lines with swimmers two squid chains with a ballyhoo behind one with a the chugger and a macro with express out on the other and uh, two dredges whatever it may be you know mullet mackerel um, if I'm fishing anywhere else outside uh, in the DR I don't normally put natural baits on my dredges sometimes I do but anywhere else I like a, a natural dredge 
and uh, that's pretty much my go-to spread if you're going to fish anywhere you catch anything with it. You know, have a 50 pitch, have a 30 pitch, and have an 80 pitch if a really big fish comes up. Um, Bermuda, it's pretty much four 130s with lures, and uh, you know, one squid chain and one big lure on a bridge teaser, set of bowling pins, and dark dredge on the other side. Wow. And what would you be your favorite dredge if you had to pick one dredge setup, like all mullet? Would it be uh, what do they call it, the fire tails? Um, I, I it's hard to get away from a, a, a mullet dredge. Black and purple heads probably the most for me, but my favorite, most effective. Black and purple is always in my dredges. That never leaves. That never leaves a spread. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, George? I have to say one of my favorite dredges that I've seen is a mackerel dredge with black and purple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that thing looks sick. All max. All max. But you're not putting a lot on it, are you? Oh no, yeah. Yeah, the same number of like. Uh, yeah, everything's max. Yeah. Oh wow. Nice. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's expensive. That's, that's yeah. got to pull a lot too, no? It's heavy. Right. Yeah. I don't pull it on my program, but. Right. And uh. I've seen it. It looks good. What would be your favorite center console and your favorite sport fish? Uh, you had to pick one. I'm incredibly biased. I think. 39 CV, the original is one of the best center consoles ever made. I also like the 42 Invincible. Right. I think that one's a really, really good riding center console. Um, and Sportfish, uh, that Marlin Darlin was probably the nicest Sportfish I've been on, just as far as a fishing boat. That's a... That's a 60 Spencer. 60, right? 66. 67. 67. 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, 67, Thirty-nine TV. I'm like, hey, I'm really biased. I've been in some really, really, really gnarly weather with those boats, and it just they do such a great, great job of handling it. Um, Thirty-one Contender is one of the first boats I started on, like yeah. fishing on, you know. And uh, Sportfish. Again, I'll go back to the sixty-one Garnington, but I, I had the privilege of fishing on the uh, Blue View, the sixty-five Bayless, I believe, which is not seen there's and that thing is a machine too. That was, a, you know, very, 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 very good fishing boat. Very right. Good, you know? Probably one of my two, two favorite sport fishing boats. Like it's hard to pick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, they all do kind of different things. What, I've been on some 78, 80 foot. I, I mean, I fished on the Maverick. It was a 88, and with the pulpit, it was like 91. It was mm-hmm. the biggest sport fish I ever worked on. We had to pull the kites in every spread. So, like, it was just too big. Mm-hmm. What would you say is like the perfect size sport fish? I'd say between that 60 to 70 foot range. Right. Yeah. I can't. I can't argue. Sixty to seventy. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's my favorite size. It's still big enough, big enough to be, you know, in a big sea can get somewhere, and not too big to where it can still maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. That seventy uh, seventy six ball man, the full time that I, you know, I got to be a little bit part of the build. That's an incredible boat. You know, it's such a huge boat, such a good layout as far as interior room, but still can get around pretty good and rides out. It's agile for a big boat. Yeah, very agile for a big boat. Yeah. Uh, headsets or not, if you're on a really big boat, I feel like they help out. They um, they do help. I, I will say there. Are, I think there's good headsets and bad headsets, but uh, they do help. It, it is nice to be in an environment where everybody's not screaming, but at the same time they can be incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Push your ears. It gets hot under that one ear. You get a tan line. <laughs> Drop them in you, the man? water, boss. Um, we don't use headsets. I've been able to use headsets. I think if uh, if you just if everybody knows your job and knows what to do, um, you don't there's no yelling involved. I mean, unless things just get really ugly and, and things get dangerous, and maybe there's some yelling, 
but I think the only time that, you know, the, 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 when there's a fish up, you know, the captain and, and the, the owner should be talking, and that's it. Um, unless, you know, something else is going on, you need to be But I'm not a head tech guy. I think that if everybody knows your role and, and everything's under control, you can, you can, you can communicate without headsets. Right. Yeah, we've had these headsets on for a little while. Yeah. yeah. Headsets and mics, which is something that we're not used to, but well, it's, it's been a pleasure. You have a tower guy that the headset comes yeah. into play really big. Right. Because it's hard to see, especially with your yeah. really And you wouldn't hear him right. otherwise from up there. Yeah. You don't got to yell. Yeah. You just talk, talk quietly and keep the, keep yeah. the vibe you know, down. And, Our boat, we always fish with a tower guy, so it makes all the difference in the world. And we, we, never had, we haven't had the sonar, now we do, but... Um, before we always fish with the tower guy and his letting us know there's a fish behind the spread coming in deep with Made a headset it, on gave it yeah and everybody had a headset everybody yeah everybody would have a headset right. nice all right so one last question so i made georgie a couple gaffes probably my favorite <laughs> customer to get a call from and say chris we got to do something cool i already know it's going to take a little while and it's going to be wild so what's on the gaffes that i made for you Oh man, my favorite gaff is a uh, it's a hard body gaff, and <laughs> that that thing's special. How do you describe it? It's got strippers on it, and dollar bill signs, and all the good stuff. I don't know, it's just I wanted a long, badass gaff that you know it, if I needed to sink it into a big fish, a heavy fish, I, I didn't want it to break on me, and I wanted to have a character and. I don't know, have like little rock star vibe to it. It was, it was something spontaneous that came into my head and I figured there's only one guy that I know that could pull this off and make it look good and make it work and trustworthy and it called Chris and he said, no doubt, this is, we're gonna tackle this. And, and sure enough, he knocked it out of the park. It's beautiful, I think it's a piece of art. Yeah. <laughs> the whole story about hard body is just- uh, It's hard body, actually. I mean, I think that was some of the most laughing I've done in a weekend. We're going to keep that hard body right. story uh, for off the air. Let me take a piss. All right, so George is going to take a piss. He obviously does not want to get into this hard body story. <laughs> we'll respect that. But we'll end it on this note. Uh, great having you guys on. We're out. We're out. All right. Wow. Thanks. Thanks, Bye. Thanks for having us. Bye. 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 Bye.